Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the podcast. Like I said in the last intro, it's so important in this time to support local brands and businesses that you believe in. And nobody is more local and loyal to the Bryan College Station, Texas and surrounding areas than Laura Lee Smith. She's a real estate agent that knows all things in the housing market here in Bryan College Station and she will give that information out for free. We did an Instagram live. She shared all these numbers, all these facts, what you should be doing. That's questions that I have. If you have one yourself, if you're a homeowner and you're uncertain and you don't know what to do, give her a call or text her and she would be glad to help you out. Her number is 979-218-2315. That's 979-218-2315. This episode of the podcast was a great conversation and one I've been wanting to have for so long and I'm so thankful that he came on. The owner and founder of MKT Distillery in Katy, Texas, came on to talk about giving away free hand sanitizer to the local people and to first responders and people that drive up. Just a passionate dude about distilling and making whiskey and spirits and also a passionate dude about life and helping others. I really enjoyed this conversation and nobody can tell his story better than Nick. So without any further ado, please enjoy Nick Gisette. Just like that, we're rolling. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast, man. I appreciate this. Hey, my pleasure. My pleasure. I've actually been wanting to talk to somebody. Like, uh, I looked. It's funny because I, I looked. I Googled it because I really wanted to talk to somebody who was working with a distillery about this hand sanitizer because I think it's a really, really cool idea that you're giving it away for free um, and how f- quickly distilleries or at least the ones that you see um doing that how quickly they stepped up switched over i mean it seems like a lot of work anyway i'm looking to do a podcast with somebody (laughs) and i google it the ones in texas because i want to do one local and you guys pop up in a forbes article that i read and i was like wow that's pretty cool so you're the first one i reached out to um and then uh we went back like it took me a while to hear like to hear back because you guys are crazy busy, you know, and I'm just like, here's this podcast guy, you know, you guys are doing awesome work with sanitizers and stuff. And so I reached out to a couple more. They never responded. And you guys then responded and I got super excited. I was like, yes, he's going to be on the podcast to talk about the hand sanitizer, man. So explain to me a little bit about that process and like what, what wanted, like, how hard was it to switch over into making the hand sanitizer? Sure, sure. No problem. Well, we started it off, and, and, and we've probably said this story like a hundred times, but we got a phone call from Michael with the Fort Bend County Sheriff's Department, Yana Group, which is, which is a you're not alone. And, and he called Nikki and, and messaged her and asked her, and she's my wife, you know, I've seen, some, and he said to us, I've seen some distilleries out there making hand sanitizer. Is this something that you can do? And ironically, I had seen that morning, you know, flash up on CNN's website about the one up in Portland, Oregon that was doing it. And then there was one in Georgia. And being a distiller, I kind of glanced at the articles, went, oh, that's cool. And then Nikki called me probably about an hour later and said, hey, uh, Michael with the Fort Bend Sheriff's Department's reached out. He wants to know if we can do this. So I told him we'll discuss it tonight and let him know tomorrow. And so I kind of abruptly got off the phone with my wife. I immediately called Portland, Oregon, that distillery up there. So this is Nick Jessup with MKT Distillery, and I'm, and she cut me off and said, 
do you want the recipe? I'm like, yes, please. <laughs> and she gave me the recipe like that. You know, and distilleries aren't known for that, right? Distilleries always have their secrets. They've got things they don't want to talk about. But she was just very upfront, like, here's the recipe. without, And she cut me off, right, without even letting me finish. Um, so she gave me the recipe, super awesome. And it was a World Health Organization-approved recipe. Um, I then called the one in Atlanta, same thing. Reached out, talked to a guy, introduced myself, told him I was looking for, and he cut me off and said, so you want the recipe, right? And I'm like, why, yeah, actually I do. Um, so he gave me his recipe, and it was another World Health Organization recipe, a little bit different. He used aloe. The one in um, Portland did not use aloe. So I just kind of took the basic principles together and just I realized that what we had in stock um, I could produce. I just needed to get a couple more things, and I could supply them from Walmart. And I I told Nick, called Nikki back up, and I said, all right, tell him we can do it, and we can have production by Friday. Man, that, that's quick acting. That's like so fast. Well, yeah. I mean, that, and that's kind of what we do, right? So, I mean, I, I work for a, a large consulting company, and my wife's an executive admin. And what we do in our lives is solve problems. So, it came in as a problem, and we just, it's like, how do we solve it, right? What's the next step? How do we make this happen? And for us, you know, being a distiller and kind of working in that industry, we're all about pleasing our customers, producing something that our customers like. So it's kind of in our DNA. And as soon as we saw that our customers were interested in hand sanitizers and that kind of stuff, and we've got the permits to make that happen, it was like, okay, we can start producing this. And so we just kind of flipped what we were doing and just went straight into um, getting that high, high, high proof alcohol and start acquiring all the stuff to denature things and just started producing hand sanitizers. How much work was it to do that? Like, was it was it hard to switch your operation to doing that and then producing it and then also working it and giving it away free to people? Um, it, it's kind of an interesting process, right? So to get it a little bit um, hotter, right, a higher proof alcohol, you kind of have to stop tasting things, right? So <laughs> And I hate to say that, but when we produce stuff, right, we're trying to make it taste awesome. And so we taste it when it's coming off the still and, you know, it, it, as it's before it's proofed down in these containers, we taste it to make sure you still get all the good flavors that you want. When you're making hand sanitizers, you don't want people to drink it. So you have to kind of flip your mind around and say, no longer am I going after these incredible tasting things. It's just how high, how hot can I get this stuff? Can I get it to 190 proof and keep it there for a very, very long time? And don't drink that stuff by any stretch, right? So that was kind of the flip of what we have to do to get that flipped around. Um, but then it was really more of a how do you source those ingredients? And we were right at the beginning, so we could still get our hands on ingredients. But like four or five days later, those things became impossible to find again because we weren't the only ones out there doing it. So initially we had some instant success, and then it got a little bit harder. We had to start making a lot more phone calls and start kind of reaching into tentacles and, and start thinking you know, outside of the, the, the normal context of what we do to source things. So that became, the logistics became kind of an issue after a while, so much so that, you know, producing it was, was you know, relatively easy, but sourcing bottles became impossible. 
And it wasn't even the bottles that were the hardest thing. It was the tops. So you start looking at like 4-ounce, 8-ounce, 16-ounce containers. You can find those all over the place. There's plenty of them, right? We'd reach out to providers, plastic providers and stuff like that, and they'd go, yeah, we've got 15,000 of them. Do you want them? And I'm like, uh, yep. They're like, yeah, the tops will be here in June. And I'm like, <laughs> what am I going to do with a container without a top? They're like, well, what do you want to do? I'm like, well, obviously I need the tops, right? <laughs> that you know, like, sense. Well, if we can piece other tops. I'm like, well, do they fit? No. I'm like, well, that does not help me. So that became the, the nightmare was just finding blown plastic to put all this stuff in to, to hand it out to everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, but then kind of your other question was, was it easy to give it away to people? And, and yeah, because... That was kind of what we were all about. Our distillery, when we created it, we built this distillery for the community. We sit in a rice dryer. It is an old historic rice dryer for Katy, Texas. Um, We do a lot of fundraisers there. We don't charge people to do fundraisers. Um, We always tell them, just come on in. Um, You want to to open it up during a weeknight when we're not available? Fine, we'll come. We'll open it up. We just want you to pay for the bartenders, right? Just make sure they're taken care of and they're tipped out. That's all we care about, buy the cocktails, but you can have it for free to raise money for whatever thing you need to do. Because we've always said our distillery is for the community. It's the community's distillery. It's not ours. So to play that forward and kind of be able to produce something that everybody wanted and everybody needed, that was easy. It was easy to go in there and say, we're going to give it away. If we go bankrupt and crash and burn at the end of it, it doesn't matter because we did something good for Katie. I see that's exactly what I like about it. Like in this situation, when you have people just sitting around waiting for like the perfect plan, we got to wait because it needs to be perfect. It needs to be, no, we need to like take some sort of action, whatever action we can. I started doing something on my Instagram because I was like, businesses are just going like, it's got to be crazy tough. You know, being a former uh, business owner, you know, in a family business and, I know that struggle and that pain and I, I feel for them and I'm like, what can we do right now? Not sit around and complain about it, but what can we do? And I'm like, everybody just needs to go follow as many local businesses and on social media and tag them and talk to them. Even if you don't spend a dime, just go, just go do that because then you're like building this community around all these local businesses. So Something like that where you took the action and you're just like, I'm giving it away for free. It doesn't matter. People need it. Everybody's out of it. It's like toilet paper right now. It's gold. <laughs> so, uh, and, and then you see all those big lines and you're helping first responders. It was, it was really like, it was super awesome. It makes you want to get up and go do something. Right. So Yeah, it, it's been fun and rewarding. It really has. And last night we had... Um, couple sheriffs up there and we're we emptied an entire tote which is like 270 gallons that were given away to some first responders in um south texas kind of over by the border they're coming to pick it all up tomorrow and we've got shoot uh 11 15 gallon containers and then whatever the change is from 270 in these one gallon containers and they're going to take it and spread it out amongst 11 places down south and it's you know it's it's theirs you know we were able to make it, and there's not a lot of people that can make it, right? I mean, you have to have certain permits, and so we have a permit. It's it's there. 
we made it, we're handing it to them and they're going to go distribute it and, and, uh, take care of things. And, uh, the president of the Texas Whiskey Association has been awesome about like kind of helping coordinate a lot of the logistics behind FDA licenses, um, hazmat transportation and stuff like that. He keeps on saying, you guys are all saving lives. And you know, it's, it's kind of interesting to hear that because it's a totally different perspective on what we're doing. You know, we just we just kind of it was like, okay, we can make it happen. Let's do it. And it, then somebody else is going, but you know, you're actually doing some really good because you could be saving lives out there. Yeah, it's kind of an awesome thing to hear. You're definitely giving people like you know a comfort by just being able to squirt that thing and put it on their hands. Like they can't get it. People that are worried about getting the virus through any sort of thing. You're giving them something where they can function out in life. They're not afraid to go out, and they put it on their hands, and it, it automatically like placebo is real as well. So if they right, feel right. like if they feel like they're protected, then yeah, you could be saving lives in that sense too. Where you're like, yeah, they may not ever have it, but guess what? Mentally, they're telling themselves, I can go out, I can keep working if I'm an essential employee, I can do whatever, which is really, really cool. And also like people with kids and they're worried about transferring it, just the whole thing. Um, yeah. Yeah. And we actually had a couple, uh, we've had a couple people co- show up in cars and they'll drive through the line. And sometimes we have a very long line. Sometimes it's just 10 people deep. Um, and they'll kind of come up and my wife just hands them the thing. So they, they pull in, she goes, hello, and hands them two bottles. You know, it's not even a what do you want or anything like that. It's here are the two bottles. And we had a couple people that are coming up and it would be like two or three people in the car and they're all kind of like in tears. And they're like, how much is this? Because we don't have a lot of money. And we're like, free. I mean, if you want to donate to the cause, you can. But otherwise, it's free. And they're like, oh, thank you. You know, my husband just lost his job and we have no money and we were so worried. And it's like, no, it's we're here to help protect you guys. You know, and that's kind of been rewarding to see that. How did this whole thing? How did this whole thing start? Like where distilleries realized they could make hand sanitizer? Um, I don't know what the first one was, but I think there were just some some people out there. I I don't know if the people in Oregon were the first ones or Atlanta were the first ones, but you kind of got these weird little pockets of people who saw it enough, and it was probably. You know, somebody that was dealing with just all of that stuff, and they realized that that recipe called for a high-proof alcohol, and they had high-proof alcohol, and it's like, well, we can make that, right? And I, I, I don't know who was the first one to do it, but I realized, I feel it's just somebody realized that what they had sitting in their room could make most of what they needed. It was kind of like your attitude whenever the, they called you, and like, can you do it? And you're like, yes. I can do it. Exactly. Now I got to exactly. figure it out. Right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Which, which I, I mean, it's crazy. They acted so fast on it. Um, and just creating it. And I love the way distilleries, like you think about it. Drinking is really a community thing. I hate to say it. Like I'm not I, like, I love a good glass of whiskey. I love that. That's my jam. I like it neat and just sip on it. It's great. Um, right. And I do like, I like me some beer, but I don't drink a lot, right? Um, in fact, I haven't had a sip since this whole quarantine thing started. Um, and But if you think about what it is, like you go to some place like, like your place, I looked it up online, and it's really a community. You go there to enjoy a beverage and hang out with people. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so to flip it around, and instead of, 
I'm selling a drink to now I'm going to take care of the community out of this operation. Um, that's what's so like inspiring about the whole deal. It's, Thanks. It seems like yeah, I mean, that, that had been always what we'd wanted to say. And we say that all the time. It's all about us taking care of the community that is taking care of us, you know, and, and that's just been our big mission. And it's always been our mission. In fact, um, some of the stuff that we do, we do fundraisers for KCM once or twice a year, and I'll call them up, and KCM is Katie Christian Ministries, and so they do food drives, they've got, you know, they kind of take care of the food needs and that stuff for, for the Katie community, and I'll call them up and say, hey, I'm going to do this Cajun festival, and I'm looking for somebody to give my money to. Do you want it? And they're like, uh, yeah, what's it going to cost us? I'm like, yeah, just come up. Post it on your Facebook. Show up. We're doing this thing. We need somebody to give it to. How many people? You know? How many people give away their like their building and their operation for free for people that do fundraisers? I don't think there's a lot of them. I get a lot of people come in and, and like they want to do fundraisers for stuff, and they're like, "How much is it going to cost me?" Um, and, and event planning and stuff like that. And, I, and every time we tell them it's free, they're like, "Really?" I'm like, "Yeah." Yeah, just buy the cocktails. That's all we care about. That's what we're here for. And they're like, that's it? I'm like, oh, yeah. And so I don't think there's a lot of people that do that. Um, it's definitely a unique business model, but it's really, I keep on saying, it's it's not our distillery, right? Somebody had to have the name on the title for the TABC permit, and so we've done that. But it's Katie's distillery. It's it's not ours. We're just the custodians. That's so, so, uh, like that. I think that's so cool. And so what got you into wanting to do the distillery in the first place? Uh, <laughs> that's kind of a fun, long story. So um, where we are in those rice dryers, and if you've seen us online, you've kind of seen some pictures of them. Um, that's actually where No Label Brewery started. Um, and we used to drink there when they were first opening up. We'd sit underneath the metal silos and drink. We had a lot of fun. And we always thought it would be super awesome to start a brewery. Um, but then we kind of realized, you know, six months into just kind of every Saturday thinking it'd be awesome to start a brewery, realizing that we wouldn't be able to come there and drink at that brewery. So <laughs> we kind of squished that process. Um, they got a lot bigger and moved next door into another set of dryers. Um, and we always kind of thought it would be fun to do that. Well, um, believe it or not, I am a British citizen as well as an American citizen. You can tell by the accents that nobody ever, but um, my mother and came over from England, my mother and father. And so my wife, my mother, and I were in Knoxville, Tennessee for a Daughters of the British Empire convention. And we had a day, and so we drove down to Gatlinburg, Tennessee. Now, if, you ever have, if you've never been to Gatlinburg, Tennessee, it is a super awesome place. Kitschy as heck, but super awesome. And they've got Old Smoky Distillery in there. Right, and so we went to visit Old Smoky Distillery, and it's a fun place. They have two of them, uh, two distilleries on their their main drag. So you go into the first one. There's banjo music going. The wood, it's wood walls. They've got moonshine bottles all over the place. The ones you can find in Specs and Total Wine, um, and they've got people in you know all these bartenders and overalls, and they call you over, and for five dollars you get to sample twelve shots, and they're a little thimble size thimble size shots kind of look like communion cups but you get to sample 12 and they have fun with you and they talk about each of the flavors and it's a super fun awesome experience 
Um, and then that $5 that you pay, you get a $5 coupon off whatever. So it flips it right back around. So we did that, had a lot of fun, but we knew there was another one. So we went to go visit the other one before we, you know, bought anything. So we're walking down the street and Sugarlands Distillery is there. And if you ever watch Moonshiners, Sugarlands Distillery has all the moonshiner people do kind of little stuff there. Same thing, same vibe, wood walls, moonshine bottles everywhere, banjo music, people calling you over, a lot of fun. So we had the next set of 12 samples. So then we kind of wander off, we did that, we wander off to the original Old Smoky, which is called The Holler. We pass the McDonald's, and it's important to remember there's a McDonald's right there. So we go to the first, that the original Old Smoky. Same thing, a lot more merchandise, though. Um, so then we pay our $5 and do our 12 samples. Now, mind you, we're at 36 samples at this time. Each. <laughs> right? Now, these Old Smokies, these are crafty, crafty boys, right? So they're, one of them is their quote-unquote whiskey distillery, and the other one is their moonshine distillery, and they don't sell the same stuff. So you do that sample, and you're like, well, the other one had some things we like, but this one has some things we like. Well, maybe they sell the things we like there over there. And you, by the way, you can stack these coupons so we're not out of money, right? So we left the original. And, of course, we've had 36 little shots, so we hit the McDonald's. I told you that was important. All right, so then we go back to the first Old Smoky, and when you buy bottles there, if you buy, like, nine, you get three free, and you get a rolling cooler and all these other fun things. So well, we're there, and you can stack the coupons, so you might as well do the sampling over again. Oh, boy. So there we are, <laughs> 48 samples in. We buy what we want stagger back to the car to drop it all off. But unfortunately, at that second Old Smoky, the holler, there was stuff that we wanted there. So we had to go there, <laughs> right? And while we're there, we had no more coupons because we'd used them all at the first one, but we're there. We might as well do the samples over again. So 60 samples in each. We empty out as much as we could out of that one, get back to the car and take a, a brief nap. And it was there that we said, you know, this was super awesome. This was fun. This was a lot more fun than the brewery side of life. Uh, they were joking with us, interacting. It was a whole interacting thing. Why don't we open up a distillery in Katy, Texas? So that was kind of why we decided to do it. We were driving back up to Knoxville. Got to Knoxville, went to the hotel. My mother was there, chatted with her, and we said, we're going to open up a distillery. And she said, well, one of the other women there from Knoxville, Tennessee, who's in the Daughters, her husband owns Knoxville Works Whiskey Works. Why don't you go talk to him? Oh, what an awesome chain of events right there. There you go. There you go. So we went and chatted with him and told him what we wanted to do. And he goes, I'll help you. Tell me what you need. Go visit my distillery. Here's my contact information. When you get back to Houston, let me know what you need and we'll figure it all out. And it's like, awesome, mentor number one. And then uh, we got back to Houston, and a friend of mine, Rodney Campbell, who does all of my merchandising, um, including this hat and everything else that we do, um, one of his friends, Michael Bayless, uh, worked with uh, Ventrino, I'm going to slaughter the name, but it's the Menage a Trois Wines. Um, but he is was the vice president, or probably is still the vice president of the um, spirit side of life. And, he's, and, and we're driving in a car one day together, and he's like, what did you want to do? 
So I told him, and he goes, that's awesome. I can't really kind of get into any how we do things and stuff like that, but if you kind of have any questions about just what my opinion is, bounce it off me. And I thought, awesome, that's great. That's one more person that you know can kind of help us. Um, and then a guy that I went to high school with, Carlos Del Alcoa, owns Gulf Coast Distillers in downtown Houston. I let him know what I was doing, and he was like, sure, I'll help you, anything you need. Come on in. You can make batches here if you want. Whatever it is, we'll take care of it, and we'll, we'll help you. And it's like those are the three people that you needed in your pocket to help kind of start this stuff. And so with all of that just kind of like knowledge behind me, uh, we were able just to kind of start progressing down this path. And it was working with No Label Brewery, working with a couple other breweries, and just seeing how that community stuff went. And then these big guys that had distilleries, it was just like, how do you mix those together and create something that is a community, a fun place for people to come in, drink a cocktail, drink your whiskeys neat, places for the kids to play, um, you know, place for the community, just everything. How we have pets that come in all the time. We've had goats. We've had <laughs> potbelly pig. It's just incredible, right? It's it's it becomes a place where people can come in and drink cocktails and spirits with their family and just enjoy that. And in fact, we've got one set of people that come in and they'll they're they'll get out of the truck and their kids will get out of the truck with them and their kids will kind of drive off and run to the bounce house and the parents will come in and grab a cocktail and eventually the kids will come over from the bounce house to check up on mom and dad and get like a Capri Sun or something and then go back out to the bounce house. And it's just, it is become kind of this, instead of having beer and kids and animals, it's cocktails and kids and animals. And it's really just that. And we sit right next to no label. So sometimes People will wander off to No Label, grab some beer, and then they'll come back to MKT and drink cocktails. So it's been fun. Yeah, I mean, I can tell the passion you have for this whole distillery thing just by like looking at you and, and like over this video chat and the, the enthusiasm in your voice. Did you say that another distiller let you cook batches in his place and try it out first? Yeah, yeah, he, yeah. That is that something that's common in the in this world where like in 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 the I guess in the distillery world, it is not common. Now it is super common in the brewing world, but in the distillery world, it is not that common. There are a few of us, right, that don't mind. And in fact, uh, Moonshine Ridge in Johnson City, um, he's been he's he's that guy for us. He's very helpful. We were having some problems with some cloudiness with our moonshine. And I had met him at a uh, Total Wine Tastings, and I called him up and I said, I'm having this problem, and he goes, I'll be there next week. Let me come in and talk to you. And he spent four hours in our distillery going through our process. He figured out what the problem was, told us what the solution was, and we bought him dinner for it. And we've been friends ever since. So there are a few of us that will do that, but there is still a lot of people that are like, oh, no, 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 those are my secrets. You know, well, I mean, we're not going to show you how to do that. I can see, I can see where they're coming from because they're like, "Oh, here comes a competition." But I guess in the world of spirits and stuff, there's plenty to go around, right? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't see each other as competition. It's um, 
Some people do, right? Some people are very much like, oh, gosh, we don't like them. They've taken market share. But honestly, we want to take market share from Jack Daniels, right? That's who we're after. I'm not after Gulf Coast Distillers. I'm not after Whitmire's. I'm not after, you know, anybody else. I'm after Jack Daniels. I want that piece of the pie. That's what I'm after. That's right? it. I want to be able to go to a distillery and somebody order a bar five, ten years from now and hear somebody just off the ball go, I want an engineer's and Coke or something like that and not a Jack and Coke. Right? That's what I'm after. Did you know that it rolled off the tongue as good as what you just said it? I never heard that, but if you say engineers and Coke, that just sounds good. There you go. There you go. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but um okay, so is it super costly to get into because like you guys had regular jobs right if, if i read that right you guys like full-time jobs and now you're wanting to start this brewery up or this distillery sorry and, no worries no worries we hear it all the time <laughs> and well, that's okay because that's kind of what it is right so brew, distilleries are the new kid on the block everybody hears breweries right everybody hears wineries but it's distilleries is like well what is that so we're used to it it's all good well i i actually used have done two CrossFit competitions there at the no label, uh, place. So yeah. that I had that in my mind, but the, the distillery thing, is it real like costly to get in that with all the regulations and all the things you have to do, um, to get permits and to get rolling and make batches and how long until it's ready. And then you've got this full-time job over here. So how did you manage both of those things? Um, well, we've forgotten what sleep is, so I'll just say that from the very beginning. Sleep is not a friend of ours by any stretch. Um, it, it's, it is kind of an interesting process, right? So our still costs $10,000 going in, and it's a very small 55-gallon still. Um, so you have that kind of that upfront cost. So stills are more expensive than brewing equipment, because everybody can brew beer, and it's very, and you can brew, you could brew beer. Anybody that's listening to this podcast can go brew beer and and make wine, right? But to do that with spirits is against the law, no matter how you do it or where you do it. It's against the law, and and because of that, you know, there's a lot less distilling equipment out there. So yes, it is, you know, three times more expensive. Um, the permit process is. Very, very expensive and very, very um, hard to do because nobody understands what it is that you're doing. And the TABC and TTB, the feds, are going to make you sign all of this paperwork and you're going to have to go down to your county courthouses, the, the your city, city of Katy, and get them to sign off on all these things. And you can't hide, right? It's like, you know. Dear city of Katy, these people are going to create something that can blow up. Is that okay? <laughs> yeah, sure, right? <laughs> yeah. No, I'm not sure anybody sanely signs off on that. But, you know, and our permits are two and three times as expensive. Um, and there's a lot more people monitoring what we do. And it comes from prohibition, right? That's the big thing that's out there. Um so it's very kind of hard to get into it and just kind of that process of getting in. But to make a batch of booze is kind of an interesting thing because, um, you know, you can go in and mash in, and it's kind of the same as the beer world. You throw yeast on it, and you let the yeast eat the stuff and convert it into alcohol, and that takes anywhere from a week to two weeks, and then you cook it out. 
and you're done from creating the spirit, right? Whereas beer takes a little bit longer. Um, but now if I'm going to age a whiskey, I'm going to throw it in a barrel for six months to a year down the road before I know if any of that is any good, right? And I can't just stop and sit there and wait a year. I've got to keep on producing. Well, I can have just an absolutely horrible recipe, right? And I'm going and going and going and going for, you know, 12 months, 6 months, 12 months, and then realize, oh, that was bad, and none of it tastes good aged. So it is kind of a it, – it is a – it is a difficult process to get into that, um, and it's a little bit scary, and that's why we do other things. We'll do vodka, which you can, you know, two weeks, you know what it's going to taste like. Our gin is, you know, 12 days to get all done, so it's two weeks to make the vodka and then two days to make the gin. Uh, so those things, you can get kind of a faster response out of it, but your whiskeys. That, you know, and that's where a lot of people are. Like you said, you like your whiskey neat. Yep. You know, that's where a lot of people like it. And that's going to take you six months to a year before you can actually identify that you've done something good. <laughs> that's such right. a scary process. I can see where that's so bad because you're like, oh, man, here I've, I've spent all this money on the equipment. I've gone through all this trouble to get my permits. I've done all these things. I've worked really hard. And now I've got to let this money sit in a barrel. For right. six months before I can make any money, and right. then it may not taste good. Right. Yeah, this is like the trial. That's that's insane. Like that's a fun process. It seems like, but very intense. Right, right, right. So, yeah. what's your favorite out of all that you do? Like your favorite whiskey? Uh, my favorite is Engineers, and so it is a pure corn whiskey. It comes from Waller County. That's where we get the corn from. Um, and it sits in a used bourbon barrel. And we actually get those used bourbon barrels from Gulf Coast Distillers in Houston, of course, my friend Carlos. Um, and they held giant bourbon in it. And then we flip it around, put our juice in there, and age it out. And the reason why I like it, um, so scotches are made in, obviously, Scotland. And they are aged in used bourbon barrels. They're young. So and that has kind of an interesting flavor. So it's going to have that sweet kind of flavor behind it. Uh, but the actual juice itself does not taste quite that sweet. But you always got that sweeter flavor kind of in the backside of your palate when you're drinking it. Well, with our engineers, it's the same thing. It's got kind of a mild front and a sweet back where you're getting that from the barrels themselves. And so it's really super smooth. And that's the favorite that I do of the whiskeys. Did you always have this taste for whiskey to be able to taste it and know what's good and the differences between the bad and the little nuances, like anything like a sommelier or whatever that you're doing where you're tasting it and you're like, you've got to notice all the different notes and tones and flavors because I've gone through a little bit that with my coffee that I have. Mm -hmm. And before I just drank coffee and I liked it or I didn't like it. But now right. I had to learn and it's it's been something that you can acquire and learn, I've realized. So did you do the same thing with whiskey, or is it just something you've always had? No, no, it's the same process. I've always been kind of like drive it forward, you know. You kind of like the, the easy drinking stuff, and then you start kind of trying to understand what it is that you're drinking and stuff like that. I mean, years and years ago when I started drinking coffee, it was like, you know, mostly sugar, a little bit of coffee, and some milk kind of thing. And then you start getting, you kind of, you start tasting Jamaican coffees, and it's like, oh, 
what the heck is this, right? And then you start doing all the other stuff, the Samantras and things like that, and you're like, oh. And then you get to a point where you actually start drinking it black because you want to taste the flavors that are there. And I did that with cigars, right? I mean, first cigars I ever smoked were Swisher Sweets, as were most people. And then you start kind of smoking all the, you know, you, you find some Cubans, and then you start trying the Dominicans and the Hondurans and the Nicaraguans and start enjoying what that is. So I, I, same way with whiskey. It was originally just, honestly, probably Jack or something like that. And then it was like, I want to start learning what scotches taste like, so we're going to start on the space side. But then it's like, ooh, what is, what is this Isla stuff, all the peated stuff? So, like, jump into that and see what those flavors are. And then you bring it stateside, and then you start drinking all, you know, it's always Jack, and then it's Crown, and then you've kind of tried everything. But then you kind of realize, no, there's so much more. And then you start tasting all these different things. That, so, and yeah, I've had to evolve into everything that I've, I've ever drank or consumed. That's another question I had about, like, the local dist- – so – being a guy who loves beer and I I do and I like craft breweries, but I also don't like it just because it's a craft brewery. It's got to right. taste good, you know. But there is a huge difference in the flavors and the process. Like there's some there's like a huge difference between them and the Budweisers, the Bud Lights. You know, even the ones where the Budweisers make the so-called craft beer. There's a difference between a smaller operation putting passion and love into that thing versus that can of highly produced stuff. So is it the same way with whiskeys in that sense where like if I go into a liquor store and I'm looking for something that's going to be crafted and taste different, is it going to taste different or are they all pretty much falling under the same umbrella? Um, It's all going to taste different because we've all got our different perspectives on what waters we're going to use and and where we're going to get stuff and where we're aging things. Yeah, I mean, so... You look at Jack Daniels, and I've been to the Jack Daniels tour, and that's a super awesome tour to go do. But they're producing so much of it, it comes out of that still like a fire hydrant. And it and, and they mix barrel after barrel after barrel after barrel so that it all tastes the same. And that's what they're after. They want it to taste the same. They want you to be able to grab a bottle of Jack in Texas, in, in you know Louisiana, in Tennessee, in England, in, in Russia, in China, Japan, and it to taste the same, right? And they mix them all together for that point and that reason. We, on the other hand, you get to your craft distilleries, and we're doing small batches. And and by small batches, it's, it's a lot more manual. It's a lot more, well, the heat was a little higher on this one. This one, it was a little less. Um, you know, we sometimes, like, we use... Uh, tap water we filter it a couple times but we use katie water so that it tastes like katie well sometimes the water tastes one way sometimes the water tastes a different way i'm getting different batches of corn and i'm not getting you know a truckload at a time so i'm getting you know six bags here and in another three months i'm getting six more bags well those bags came from different farms and they're all going to taste a little bit different um and then you know when we're cooking them some of them are going to ferment in March, some of them are going to ferment in June, and and you're only going to get what fermented in March, right? There's not going to be a mix of anything in there, and you're going to get what fermented in June, and there's not going to be a mix in there. So there's those raw ingredients, the waters that went in, the, the, when we did the fermentations, if we're playing with a different, um, 
yeast or whatever it is, you're going to get all those different things. And then you look at what we do. Um, so we've got some whiskey in a barrel right now that has Katie Rice in it. And it's, it is the only one that's got Katie Rice in it in the world. And I think we're one of about three or four distilleries in the U.S. that is using rice as part of their mash bill. So it's going to taste dramatically different than any other uh, bourbon out there. Have you tried a rice whiskey before? Um, I have not. So, no. so this is new for you too? Yes, yes. It's very, very new. And it's funny because if you start looking up rice whiskeys, so there is a distillery up in seattle area that portland seattle kind of that pacific area and they do a rice whiskey but they do it in the sake style right and they don't do it in the american whiskey style and so i don't think that i've seen any distilleries in the u.s doing it the american whiskey style and we're actually going to start doing that in probably about three or four months we're going to start going into production into just a whiskey that is made with rice it's going to be interesting. Um, rice is kind of do they, they calm things down, and it's a weird flavor profile, but it, it, it calms it down. And we didn't know why. We thought, so we sit, Katie is a big rice community or was a very large rice community. Yeah. We're sitting in rice dryers, right? So we kind of figured, eh, let's just throw some rice in there. And we thought it was kind of a little bit of a novelty, but what we discovered was, is our, our spirits were calmer than a lot of other people. And sitting next to a brewery, we have a lot of brewers that come and visit No Label, and they'll always wander over because distilleries are kind of fun for them, right? It's not beer. It's it's high-proof stuff. Um, and, and they'll try it, and we're always like, we always tell them it calms things down. And they, I remember one time they kind of looked at me and went, well, of course it calms it down. I'm like, well, what does that mean? And they're like, well, don't forget, all light beers made with rice. And when you cook rice, you add flavor to it just so you can eat it. And we're like, all right, there you go. And so they're like, yeah, it's going to calm everything down. So it's done that. It's taken that bite out and just kind of given it this nice, calm flavor profile. That's exciting. Man, now, now you have me wanting to try some. It sounds, <laughs> it sounds exciting, man. I'm excited for you with this rice deal. Have you? So you haven't had any of the rice stuff out yet, or you do? Um, no, we haven't had it now. When uh, So we're part of the Texas Whiskey Association. We're one of the 12 that started it. Um, and so when somebody is a member of the Texas Whiskey Trail and they come by, we'll actually pull some out of our, um, out of our large 53-gallon barrel and give it to them in a little shot glass. And it's just a little taste. It sits at 125 proof. And so those are the people that have been trying it. Okay, so, so how do you become a member of this, this whiskey association? Like... How do you become a member where you can go by and taste these super secret whiskeys? <laughs> um, so uh, just Google the Texas Whiskey Association. There's going to be a link on there for join the trail. Just join the trail. I, I don't remember how much it costs, but what it does. So when you go on the trail and when you become a trailblazer, I think they're called trailblazers, you get to go to all 19 distilleries that are in there and get a free tour. And then you get discounts on merchandise. Um, sometimes they'll have pre-release parties like our first, um, batch of release out of our 53. We'll do it for the Texas whiskey association members only. So they'll come in a week before anybody else can and buy the bottles and then it'll release to everybody else. Garrison brothers does it. 
Um, Balcones does it. Um, quite a few. I think Iron Roots have done them a couple times. So a lot of these big boys will have releases that are just for the Texas Whiskey Association first. And in fact, the uh, guy that runs um, Balcones is our president. Oh, or, that's that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we've got some big boys. You know, it's it's um, Balcones. Uh, like I said, um, all the big boys are out there in, in Texas. Are part of the Texas Whiskey Association. That's it's pretty it's pretty cool to see how. I mean, whether they let you brew a batch in their distillery or not, it's cool to see that everybody selling the same product trying to get the same thing is like friends yep mm-hmm. like you guys are just all together like hey let's start this whole organization like yeah we sell whiskey you sell whiskey but let's just team up together and both sell whiskey together oh yeah yeah oh yeah in fact uh, crowded barrel in austin uh does a lot of collab so what he'll do is he'll buy like a barrel from balconies and a barrel from iron root and a barrel from one other place and he'll mix them together and then produce this collabed batch of mixed whiskey. (laughs) That's awesome. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's incredible what we can do and what we get into because, and that's our big thing is is we are not each other's competition. We're all in different places, right? You know, Garrison Brothers, they're big boys, right? They've got their stuff in every military base in the world. You know, I'm not going to do that next week by any stretch. They're the big boys. You know, Balcones is is huge in the market. Iron Root just won the best bourbon in the world. You know, and these are big boys. And they look at me and, and they know I'm not a big boy, but it doesn't matter. I come to the table with ideas and we're all part of these, of just the whiskey world in Texas. And just like cool create, it seems like the whis- the distilling distilling business is a creative business. Mm-hmm. Like just you're making something out of nothing but it's like a painting almost you're you're designing it and then it has its own flavor and its own attitude and its own character to it and you guys are like really proud of it i mean i can tell sitting right here like how proud you are of all these different flavors well thank you yeah yeah and it's fun because kind of like the painting world it's almost as if we have to die before we get any value out of it you know it's kind of that it's it's the year down the road you know i'm sure i'm sure the big boys have like Gone through barrels and went, ooh, well, that was a horrible batch. That was a bad idea. You know, so, you know, it, it is kind of, you have to let it sit and curdle for a good six months to a year before anything's good out of it. So, I guess, what's up next for you guys? Uh, are you are you in liquor stores now? Um, I was trying to look to find where I pick up your stuff, and I guess the only thing I can figure out from comments is you have to go to your distillery to actually pick it up and buy it. So exactly, it- exactly. We were in the process of so we had always our, our approach had been, you know, true to Katie's distillery it was open up, make sure Katie actually liked the stuff that we did because if we couldn't be good enough to satisfy Katie, then just not even going to try, right? So be good enough. And we figured we wanted a year, um, maybe a little bit longer, just to kind of make sure that, you know, we, we nailed our processes down and we were good for Katie. And then we wanted to get into retail. And so we actually were um, talking to a few people um, before all of this COVID-19 stuff happened. And then it was just like, Eep. you know, let's start making hand sanitizer instead. So, you know, we're, we're, we're talking back to the people that we've been talking to. So we can start kind of getting into retail, and we're hoping to get there in the next couple months. So, well, 
Now, how long have you had this distillery open again? Uh, we've been open to the public for 18 months, and we've been live and doing this for three years now. It's crazy that you, you've been doing it for three years, but you've been serving stuff for 18 months out of there. Mm-hmm. And then, but that's not a long time. I mean, the typical small business, I mean, you need like five years to get to break even. Right, right, right. And, and you've went ahead and did this hand sanitizer anyway. Exactly, exactly. And we have yet to break even. I, I, my wife tells me that we put money into the business every month anyway. So, you know, <laughs> it is kind of our hobby, for lack of a better word. Yeah, so. But a hobby with a dream of getting bigger and bigger and selling more and just being so much fun. Like, uh, I hope, man, I hope this all works out perfectly because the story is just awesome. When I read that Forbes article, I was like, something drew me to the MKT. I was like, man, this this place out of Katy, that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks, thanks. It's been a fun blast. It's been interesting to do the hand sanitizer. Uh, but even just having the distillery, you come into the distillery, you're going to see us there. We're there. We're there Saturday and Sundays. You're going to walk into the door. One of us is going to say, welcome home. We'll probably come talk to you at the table. And you've got any questions, we're going to tell you everything. We'll, we'll tell you everything, right? This is kind of just how it is. It's You come in and you become our family. And, and you ever see any of our posts and we talk about our MKT family, that's anybody that's walked through the door. Well, you post everybody's birthdays on there. Yeah, we try. We definitely try. Like a lot of them. I see them. Right, right. Do they work there? No, they don't work there. That's just a birthday for just some random person that goes in there. Right, right. It's yeah. all part of the family. It's it's what we do. Now, Katie's gigantic. Like, mm-hmm. the, the Katie area is huge. I mean, you, you can call it Houston. You can call it whatever you want. The Katie area is, is just huge. So... It's really cool to see you bring something in that's almost like a small town feel. And I, and you are in the smaller, like what you would call the original Katy area, I guess. But right, like, right. No. but it's really cool to see just something that's so big and hustle and bustle and big buildings and all that good stuff have such a little small town homey feel to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We've it, been excited to be able to maintain that. Because it is huge, right? And so if you look at Katy, and we always call Katy basically Katy ISD. And Katy ISD area is as big as Pittsburgh, PA, right? <laughs> it's that massive, right? Um, but, then, but then you go into Old Time or Old Town Katy or Katy proper, and that becomes kind of that community. And, and that's what it is. It's the Katy Tigers. It's all the red. It's all the caboose. It is that community. And, and, that's what it is. That's the whole vibe there. Uh, we do a Christmas tree lighting, and we've done it two years now. When we put a Christmas tree on top of the silos, um, they used to do that in the taller of the dryers years and years ago, um, and we just started doing it. When we opened up, we, I knew I was going to put that tree back up, and we did it the first year, and, and all we did is we just started posting photos of, like, the pole and the Christmas tree lights, and I had... Um, I think it was KDISD's, um, one of the board directors, his wife, reached out to us on Messenger and just said, are you guys really going to do the treat? And we just kind of left that there. And then two of the councilmen for Katie messaged us and said, are you going to do the treat? Are you guys seriously going to do the treat? And it was like, well, yep, we're going to do the treat. And so that's how it just started. 
And it was just these people that just kind of, they just know that it is that old time Katie. And they just start came. We lit that tree and we had hundreds of people out there. The next year, this last year, we did the tree again. And we actually announced early when we were going to do it. And I had the mayor come and speak, the mayor of Katie. And I had all five of the councilmen there. Uh, we had most of KDISD's board of directors there just for us lighting that tree. And it was just, it, it, it is that old time Katie feeling. And we do it and we kind of make sure that, you know, Katie, when they do their Christmas thing, that's usually going to be on the Saturday. No, they do that on the Friday. And so we do ours on the Saturday just so we don't interfere. And they just love the fact that we've just become part of their community. Man, I dig it. I really do. I think I've like got my favorite whiskey company, and I've never even had your whiskey yet. <laughs> like, awesome, awesome. You're... Well, if you come down sometime soon when we can open back up, man, we'll share a couple neats together. Oh, that would be awesome, man. I really would. I really would like. That. I'm not that far away from you, so I can make I know, it down. I know. There. I know. I, well, I... And I bought my motorcycle at the ranch, so I'm oh. just down the street, and and uh, we we're members of Messina Hoff Winery as well. Oh. Right on. Man, you're just like sharing the love with everybody. Yeah, we try. We definitely try. Well, um, I guess tell everybody where they can find you, what you've got coming up next, uh, how they can go by and purchase some of your awesome whiskey, um, the hand sanitizer stuff. Let them know where they can get that, especially. Um, I know we're about to open up stuff, so you're probably going to get even more busy because people are going to be out and about. So Yes, hopefully so. Hopefully so. Well, we are located in Old Katy proper. We're in the rice dryers, the big silos. You can see them from I-10. Address is 5373 1st Street. Come on by. We do our hand sanitizer giveaways every Saturday from 12 until 6 p.m. Um, it's free. Come on in. Grab some hand sanitizer. There's a, there'll be a line of cars. Um, it's free. If you want to donate to the cause, more than welcome to it. You don't have to. And if you want to grab a couple bottles of booze while you're there, we'd love to sell you that. Um, once we can open back up again and get over all this COVID-19, we are typically open Saturdays from 12 until 10 and Sundays from 12 until 6. We did that because we like to watch football and we didn't want to kick anybody out before that second game was done. Uh, so that's what we do. We should hopefully get out into retail stores. Uh, our name is MKT Distillery, and it's named after the Missouri-Kansas-Texas Railroad. And it is also the railroad line that you will have to cross over just to get to us. And so everything we do has a name that is associated with the railroads. So it's engineers, conductors, smokestack, those kinds of things. We just love that. Um, like I said, hopefully we'll get out to retail in the next couple months. Something we're going to start working on is that rice whiskey. That's been kind of fun for us. We do have a cinnamon moonshine that we're working on, and we're going to start working on an apple pie moonshine. Um, our problem has always been we try to do it as natural as possible and as Texas as possible. So our moon, cinnamon moonshine is just brown sugar and cinnamon and a couple other fun ingredients, but it's how do I make an apple pie moonshine without putting a bunch of chemicals in it. So we try to make it natural. We try to make it wholesome. I have a couple of other questions I just thought of that will like when you're talking there off your head, but I also I have to clarify like really and truly what you just said like you making it as Texas as possible. I don't know what, like what commercial I've heard it on, but that truly is like your stuff. What you do using the rice and everything, it is the taste of Texas. 
Yes, yes it is. Yes it is. It's crazy cool to say. Like it's cool <laughs> to have something that, you know, not just an advertisement, you're like I mean, not wanting to put the chemicals in and wanting to put all the Texas stuff into your stuff is like that's I love it. I I think all states should be that way. That state pride is so great. It's so wonderful. Um, what are your plans now that, now that like you said, the COVID-19 stuff and reopening, what are your plans to reopen? Are you having discussions about that on how you can, are there any regulations against you reopening and how's that working? Uh, so oddly enough, we don't have to close. So we don't fall in the restaurant category. Um, we don't fall in, we fall more into the liquor store category. So we could actually have people come in. Um, we just don't want to do that right now. We want to keep, you know, kind of be safe with it. We would be limited to the six people or whatever it is, that, that certain amount of people in, a, in, a, in an area kind of thing. So that's what we're going to do. We will kind of probably follow more the restaurants. And when they can start letting people in, we'll start letting people in too. Man, that's just, it just speaks to your brand and your story. I love it. Because even though you don't have to, you're following through with what you believe. Right. That's exactly. what that's what it seems like. You're man. I really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you so much. This is awesome, man. Well, thanks for reaching out, man. Absolute pleasure. Absolute pleasure. Glad you reached out. I'm sorry it took us so long to respond, but uh, I'm glad we finally got to meet up and chat. No, man. I don't feel bad at all about that because I could read that you guys were super busy human beings. Like I could just tell, like that you guys were crazy busy. I didn't expect any distillery really to get back with me, but I'm the guy that like, hey, you never know if you don't ask, right? Very um, true. Very true. So, Very true. I mean, I'm appreciative to you. Thank you so much for your time. I mean, this is this is awesome, man. Oh, thank you very much, man. And cheers. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode, and thank you to Nick for being on the show. I really appreciate. Remember, support local go by mkt distillery pick up some hand sanitizer or some spirits or some merch support them any way you can and any distillery that's in your area that's doing the same thing or business go support them by buying their product following them on social media doing whatever you can in this time and taking action thank you so much and until the next episode see ya